hear me. This is for recording purposes. Uh, welcome, everybody that's here. Hi, everyone. How are you guys doing today? Good morning. Good to see you guys. What a lovely group. Amen? All right, open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, we're going through the book of Timothy now. The Timothys, uh, the, actually, these are called the pastoral letters. Paul wrote these to the pastors, Timothy and Titus. We have just uh, gone through First and Second Thessalonians. Took us several months to go through that. Remember the first uh, letter to the Thessalonians. The people in Thessalonica was a model church. It was a church that was uh, growing and vibrant. Uh, Paul had visited there and was run out of town. Didn't have time to disciple uh, the people there, the elders, the leaders. And so, to hear the great news of what was going on in Thessalonica was just a blessing for Paul. He says, "Wow, this is amazing." And uh, you got some things kind of mixed up there, but let me help you out with the rapture. The rapture hasn't happened yet. He says to them, it's going to happen. And Paul's not theologically teaching on the rapture, but it's more practical. But we get our, our theology from, uh, from that, uh, that and other, other chapters as well, the books in the Bible, as far as the rapture is concerned and uh, the coming of the Lord. And then in 2 Thessalonians, he talks about the lawless one, the Antichrist. Again, uh, he's talking about these things because there's people in the church that are kind of stirring people up about the rapture has happened. The Lord Lord is coming. Uh, things are moving too quickly, and uh, and it just seemed to have happened right around the time that these wars had broke out and things started to rise up. and And one of the first questions I was asked is, "It the end times?" You know, because we heard about wars and rumors of war, and uh, we heard about earthquakes and all these various types of diseases and pestilence, COVID, and you know, this has got to be the end time. And I go, "Well, you know, that's that's true that you have all those things." in place. But however, the first thing, the very first thing that's going to happen before any of that happens is what Paul is telling Timothy in, in, uh, from this point forward. And so in, in first, in first uh, Thessalonians, it's how the, uh, a model church, uh, the second, second Thessalonians, we call that uh, series, we called it the um, a commendable church because they were holding strong in spite of all the persecution that was going on. And so in this, this letter here, I want to entitle this letter, since we just started recently, I want to entitle it the, uh, uh, um, How a Church Ought to Behave. What did we call it? The, con- the Conduct of the Church. There you go. I had, like very, I had various titles for this whole series. But The Conduct of the Church, How the Church Ought to Behave. What Paul does here is he gives Timothy some very strict guidelines on how to raise up elders, what to do with the church, how the church is the, the, uh, the buttress and, the, and the, uh, the, the pillars of truth and how the church ought to conduct itself and things that it ought to do. And the very first thing that Paul deals with, and we talked about this last week, is false teachers. Uh, he, he talks about, and that's the very first thing that Jesus Christ said, before the wars and rumors of war, before everything else, he says, be careful that you are not deceived. And he warns us about false apostles, and he warns us about false teachers. And he says that these uh, teachers, these apostles that are going to be out there, they're going to be doing these signs and these wonders, and they're going to be so authentic that it could even possibly convince the elect, if it was possible. And so I believe that what Jesus Christ was warning warning us about, I believe what Paul has warned uh, the people in Thessalonica, I believe what Paul is warning the people uh, to Timothy and and as an elder and a pastor, and he's going to do the same thing to Titus, and that's going to be the theme throughout this. So, So as we look at these things, these are very important, and I know that it seems, you know, like we're getting down on other churches and other ministries. However, Paul has asked us to, Jesus has asked us to watch out and be careful and to seek and to, and to watch and look for any deception that might be out there. So we have to take that into con- consideration as we look at uh, this, this book, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to be going through verses 6 through 11 today. But uh, very briefly, just a real, real quick recap, last week, Paul says to Timothy, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach a different doctrine. Any different doctrine. He says, you heard the doctrine, you know the teachings, this is what I want you to know. And how do we know that it's the right teaching, the right doctrine? Well, John, in 1 John chapter 4, gives us a, uh, a formula in how to test the spirits. John says, be careful, don't believe every spirit, but test it. And if you want to go back and re- listen to that, how to test the spirits are five things that, that John tells us. You know, is it proclaiming, elevating Jesus? Is it uh, getting rid of the world? Is it telling, renouncing the world? Is it, uh, is, is it really just edifying the, the church and not just the person? 
So we, as we test the spirits, as we look at this, it's very important to us for us to understand that there are certain guidelines that Paul gives us, that John gives us, that the Bible gives us. Jesus Christ himself, as he did his ministry, and he, he preached the gospel message to various people, he constantly was looking at the Pharisees and saying, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You're leading uh, you're the, these sheep astray. You're leading them astray. And he would constantly confront them and show them their error, and they didn't want to listen. The goal is not to try to kick people out of the church. The goal is to try to help people to see the truth. And unfortunately for many people, they don't want to see the truth. They like the sin that they're in. The church or the, the, the world loves the darkness, as John tells us in John chapter 1. The world loves the darkness. It doesn't like the light. It hates the light because it, it exposes our sin. And so as we go through this, once again, Paul tells Timothy uh, to, to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and in, endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love. There you go. It's, it's not hate. It's not division. It's not throwing people out. The aim of this whole reason, this charge, is love is love God and love other people and love people from a pure heart. We saw that last week, a good conscience. We saw that last week and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Verse eight. Now we know that the law is good. If one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers and sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this portion of scripture that as we go through it, Lord, we know that we don't pick the topics. We don't pick the uh, the subject. We don't pick the verses. Lord, they've been laid out for us already from the beginning of time. And we have just been going through this systematically since, well, for many years now. And Lord, this is where we find ourselves today. And I thank you, Father, that many times that uh, your word is timely to our, our present condition and our present culture. And we don't have to look for various ways of trying to make those things fit if we just look at your word. And I thank you for that, Father. I thank you for giving us that direction. And we're going to continue, Lord, and we thank you for today's uh, word from Paul as, as he's concerned about Timothy. He's concerned about the church in Ephesus. He's concerned about these uh, disobedient people that are uh, teaching a, a very different doctrine. And Timothy, as a young man, he was, being, he was holding on as best he could. So I thank you, Lord, that you give that to us today. So lead us this morning in all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says... Amen. I, I pray that you have your outlines with you. We're getting ready to dive right into that right now. As I mentioned last week, last couple of weeks about <clears throat> Timothy, Timothy was a young pastor. He was a young man. He was a young teacher uh, that would had, had walked with Paul. Paul trained him and discipled him. And he was very, uh, well, I would say probably uncertain of himself. He was probably intimidated. He was a young man. He, Paul tells him later, we'll see, that uh, he says to him, you know, don't, don't let anybody look down on your youth. You, you know, go ahead and you know the truth. Just preach it and teach it. As a matter of fact, it seems that Paul, that Timothy might have had some, uh, maybe some digestional issues, maybe some ulcers or something going on, because Paul tells him, you know, drink a little bit of wine to calm your stomach, calm your nerves. And, and the very first thing that Paul says when we saw this, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain, stay. And the word urge is, I beg you, please don't go. I know this can be overwhelming. I know as a pastor, it just seems that there seems, everything seems to be coming up against you. I understand this, but I want you to remain. And thank God that he did because he needed to be the one to lead people to what was going on. And, and, and so as, as we saw this in verses uh, six and on, Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away, 
have wandered away and swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion. Swerving means missing the mark or, or kind of like in the sin. And wandering away is just getting off the beaten path, getting off what the Bible says. There are a lot of people that will just use the Bible and just the springboard. Well, you know, here's one verse. And then they take off from that and they make a lot of things up without backing it up with scripture. The Bible is always its own commentary. It always gives the best commentary. And so as Paul is saying, uh, you know, these people, what they're trying to do, they want to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. They, they want to be those that stand up. They want to be those that get the notoriety. They want to be those that are known. They want to be the, the popular group. They want to be, have the best seats, as Jesus told them in Matthew 23, verses 5 and 7. He tells them they do all their deeds to be seen by others for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by other people oh rabbi how art thou i'm fine i'm fine you can kiss my ring if you'd like yes i know i'm great i know i'm i'm awesome and it was this title that people were looking for and that was in the Jewish realm here in the Gentile realm these men are were were living in a place where philosophy had been a, a thing that was to be grasped and people were trying to be the greatest philosophers and the greatest spokesmen and as they they shared their wisdom with other people people would look up to them and say oh wow this is you're so great and so now here's this new teaching of Jesus Christ and people are following it and so they want to get themselves in there too how can I get to be a part of this because all they were concerned about is the notoriety and the finances and the monies. We'll see about that here in just as we go through the book of Timothy. And so Tim, Paul is telling him, you know, you have to be careful to watch these guys because they're wandering away. As a matter of fact, he goes and names a few people later on. Uh, he'll name he'll name a few people about who has done this already. And uh, the book of James tells us that in James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You know, if most people were to just to grab this and understand this, most people would say, you know, I, I don't know if I want to be a teacher. I, I don't know if I, I'm qualified to be a teacher. I don't know if I'm even there to be a teacher. I'll tell you something, beloved. When I first started, I was just shaking in my boots. I mean, I was like, just didn't know what it was that I, I was being asked to do. Uh, when I was a, a brand new Christian, this is a, over 30 years ago, a brand new Christian, I might've been at church for maybe a year and uh, I was going to the classes and, you know, I really loved the Sunday school that uh, our teacher was teaching. And one day he, he was a firefighter. He couldn't make it. He calls in the last minute and they say to him, he says, you know, I, I can't make it. Can you get somebody to teach for me? And as I'm walking by the superintendent or the Sunday school superintendent, he's uh, the guy that was overseeing all the classes. He comes up to me and says, hey, Sal, can you teach the class today? Please, I'd like you, you know, John's not going to make it, and I need a teacher today. And he hands me the material, and I froze. I go, you want me to, where'd he go? <laughs> and I was stuck there, and, and as I'm walking into class, people see me with the book. They're, they're looking at me, oh, Sal, you're teaching the class today? No, I mean, you know, and I, and I didn't know what to say. I got up, and I stood on, in front of the Pope, in front of this class of about 15, 20 guys and, and, and ladies. It was a young adults class, and, and, and here I am. I'm just reading out of the book that they gave me. I'm just reading out of it. I'm sweating. I'm just sweating like crazy, and I was drenched. And, and after it was all done, it, everybody just left, and I go, God, thank God that was, I'm, I'm done with that. Well, the next Sunday, they said, hey, they said you did a really good job. Can you do it again? <laughs> I go, no. And, uh, and, they, and again, he disappears. So there I am. Uh, you know, and after that, they said, oh, we need for you to do this over and over again. We need for you to do this. So give me some material. Give me some books. I read. I prayed. I fasted. I studied. I, you know, for, for, for weeks, you know, days on end, I'd wake up in the morning reading. I, just this one lesson. And I, I could not, for the life of me, figure out how to get this across. God used that moment for me to show me, look, it's not what you can do that I want to use. I want to use what you cannot do because there is where I'm going to work at. I'm not, I don't want to 
uh, I don't want you to be qualified. As a matter of fact, you've heard this before. You know, he called, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And he qualifies you with all your warts and everything that I've been through in my life, all my past, and all the dumb things I was going to do in the, the, from that point forward to the, to the future. God chose me anyways. And that blows me away. And it humbles me, and it should humble you as well. You are capable because of the Holy Spirit working within you to take his word. Now, a lot of these guys weren't dependent on the Holy Spirit. They, weren't, they were dependent on their own energies, their own efforts, their own ideas, and, and trying to muster up as many people as possible. Paul says, you can, you can spot them a mile away. You can tell that they don't know what they're saying. They don't know what they're talking about. They said, what? About the law? You know that that's, but people are listening to them. And that's why James tells us not many of you guys should be teachers. And I didn't want to be a teacher. I, that was the last thing I wanted to be. And, and, but yet, it, that's, that's where I ended up at. And I grew. From God's word, I grew personally. And I thank God for those moments. You, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says that, that those that cannot understand these things from God's word, it's because they don't have the spirit of God in them. He says the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, once again, going back to 1 Timothy 1.8. Now, we know that the law is good, Paul says, if one uses it lawfully. Now, the law is good. Jesus himself didn't come into the world to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. He didn't say that the law was bad. He says that the law is good. As a matter of fact, the word good being used in this sense, it, it is a way to show us not to mark off this checklist. Okay, here's these 10 things that I got to do today. Done, done, done. It's not to show us what we need to do next. The law has always been there from the very beginning to show us what wretched sinners we are. You are a sinner. You are. These are things that, that you do. And these are things that I give you forgiveness for. And I give you grace for, God says. I've covered that sin. I've taken care of it from the very beginning. Uh, your forefathers, those that I told them that if they ate of that fruit, that they would die. And instead of death, God gives them grace and covers their sin, covers their nakedness with uh, garments of animals. An animal had to be sacrificed. Many theologians believe that that animal that was sacrificed was possibly a sheep. The first sacrifice that had been done and sacrifices had been done from that point forward to connect with God. And so God was able to meet with them because of their covering. God is able to meet with you because you are born again and you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Once you have been born again, once you've been regenerated, you are now a believer. You are now a born-again Christian, and that, communi that communication with you and God, and if you cannot have that communication between you and God, then there's something spiritually wrong. And my first response is you need to repent. Not say the prayer, not raise your hand, not come forward, not cry, but repent. That was Jesus Christ's constant reminder, constant call to the people. The kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, repent and believe the gospel. When Peter preached his first sermon and 3,000 were saved, they, after he gave them all the law and after he gave them everything that they had done, how they murdered the, the one that was from God and, and they were cut to the heart and they said, what shall we do? And Paul says, Peter says, repent and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent. Repentance is a big key when you know that you've sinned. See, that, and that's what the law does. The law shows you that you can't do this. The law shows you that you're a sinner. That's what the law, the law is the bad news. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died to take away that sin. And so when you see the law in, in uh, Psalms 19, verse 7, it says that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Paul says, you know, when you see the law, so the law is holy and, and the commandments are holy and it's righteous and you look at the law, then what happens is this is how you use the law to see it as a mirror, as it reflects your reflection. And the more that you look into the law, the more that you look into God, the more that you look into his grace, you see the, all the imperfections. Again, going back to James, James says, which of you by waking up in the morning looks at the mirror and doesn't do anything about it? 
See, that's why you need to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. You need to apply the word, apply it to your life. You see your reflection. You see your sin. Do something about it. Wash that face, comb that hair, brush your teeth, spiritually speaking. Prepare yourself to meet with God in the morning and when you come to worship and on Sunday mornings. Paul, Paul says to Timothy, he says, you know, this is why the law is good, because it's holy. In verses 9 and 10, going back to 1 Timothy, he says this. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless, the disobedient, for the ungodly, the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, and perjurers. Now, before we get carried away on, well, you see, that's it says homosexuality. God really hates homosexuality. Yeah, but you know what? He also hates, he also hates liars and perjurers, people that perjure themselves or perjure uh, or lie. You know, it's it's interesting because he puts a liar right there in the same list as homosexuality. Sin is sin, beloved. It is. Now, we'll talk about this here in just a little bit, a little bit more, but all I wanted to do is just to make it, make you aware, make us aware that it's not just the one sin that we're looking at. He's looking at everything. And, and Paul doesn't give us a complete list of all the sins. What he does is he takes the first five uh, of the Ten Commandments and, and he kind of combines them into these these uh, uh, these statements that he says here the law he says is good if applied lawfully there's a proper understanding in the use of the law but the false teachers weren't doing it they were misusing it they were deluded by pride and and thinking that they can please god through their own efforts they used the law as a means of salvation that you know they thought you know if i can just keep the law then maybe i can be saved and the bible teaches us differently the bible teaches us that it is by grace that you're saved through faith and this not of yourselves not by works, but it's a gift of God. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's it. The law can't save me. The law is not a, sal- a savior. It, it's not, it doesn't do anything. It, 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 is, it is not laid down for the just. In other words, those who think that are righteous will never be saved. Yeah, I'm good. I'm all right. You ever talk to somebody, try to talk to them about Jesus? You know what? I'm good, man. You know, I'm, I'm all, everything's good with me. I'm copacetic. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a thief. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a drunkard. I, you know, pretty much I'm a good person. Well, the Bible says that all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the law is there to make us aware of that. And most people, when you push them to, to you know, a certain understanding of it, you know, you can ask them a question. Have you, have you ever taken anything from, from anybody, you know, like from school or from work, you know, like a pencil or a paper? Oh, well, yeah, of course. You know, I mean, well, the Bible calls that stealing. You know, have you ever told a lie? Well, you know, every once in a while, well, the Bible calls you a liar. You know, have you ever had bad thoughts in your mind about or sexual thoughts about a, a woman or anybody? Else? You know, well, yeah, I mean, who doesn't? Well, the Bible calls you an adulterer. I mean, just right there, you're a, a lying, thieving adulterer. Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? Once or twice. Now you're a blasphemer. But see, and when we recognize that we are sinners, and that's what the law is there to do, is to show us our sin. Not to be perfect. Do not come to church, or any church, not just, not just this church. Do not come to church because you think we're perfect, because we're not. We're all broken sinners, and we're sinners saved by grace. And that grace is what Jesus Christ died on the cross for because he knows, God knows, that we cannot hold up this law. And for those, and that's why Paul says, you know, the law is not for the righteous. In other words, those that think that they don't need it. That's not what the law is for. The law is for us. We're going to see here a little bit later. I mean, if you look at your, your Bibles in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 and on, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to the service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul admits this, I, I, I was the worst of the bunch. As a matter of fact, uh, the song Amazing Grace is also for next Sunday, uh, that I was a wretch, a, a wretch like me. 
that that Paul is is proclaim, you know I was the worst and why me Paul says why me well I believe that Paul that Paul was chosen as Paul says so that in me they can see how God's grace just abounds I mean people know me they saw me go hey there's that murder there's that blasphemer there's that, you know, stay away from him and all of a sudden he's preaching the gospel message and they're like, wow there's something different about him same thing is said about you if you've committed your life, if there's change in your life, if you've been walking according to the scriptures, if you've been walking toward uh, becoming holy and more like Jesus Christ, people will say the same thing about you. You're not the same. You're different. Praise God for that. Amen? That's what you, you want to be different. You don't want to be like the world. You want to stand out, not because you want to stand up above everybody else, but stand out to be more like Christ Jesus our Lord. So the law... It's for, it's for those that are uh, the lawless, the disobedient. The purpose of the law was always uh, to show people their sin. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, Paul says this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. It speaks to those people that are living like the Jews. We're under the law, so it speaks to us. It tells us our wrong, so that every mouth may be stopped. But the law, it says here, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Now, the law is for those that are knowing that they're sinners. However, the law has to be proclaimed. The law has to be shared. The law has to be told because this is how the whole world is going to be held accountable to God. I don't care if people don't believe. I don't care if they don't want to hear it. I don't care if they're atheists or they think they're atheists. I don't care if they think they're whatever they are. Every person on this planet is going to be held accountable. And why? Because they heard the gospel message. The gospel message that you are to be sharing. That you are to share. This is the bad news. We're all sinners. This is the good news. Jesus died to cover that sin. And you don't try to convert them. You don't try to make them to become Christians. You don't, call, you don't try to make them to be more than, uh, than, than all you do is you give the message and let the Holy Spirit do the work. And now they are accountable. And my responsibility is to be accountable to God, not to be an orator, not to be popular, not to be famous or anything else, but to give the message. And the message I cannot change. The messenger, well, he, he uses all types of different messages, all kinds of broken pots and crack pots like me. And uh, he uses all kinds of things. You know, as a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, he even used the donkey. And I said, you know, if he can use the donkey, well, I guess he can use me. You know, because the message is the message, and that never changes. The, cha the message changes me. I don't change the message. And it's unfortunate because, as we'll see, people don't like to be held accountable. They don't like the accountability part. As he says here, the lawless describes those who commit with no commitment to any law or standard. And we know a lot of people. We know a lot of people that, have, that are lawless. They just, you know what? I, I don't want anything to do with the law. I'll, I'll speed. I'll steal. I'll take. I'll do whatever I want. There is no law that is going to hold me down. And it's getting worse. And this lawlessness, as we went to 2 Thessalonians, this lawlessness is starting to increase and starting to increase. And there is indication that, that it's getting even worse. Not only in, you know, Sam, I used to kid because I says, well, <laughs> well, why not? It's San Bernardino. Well, why not? It's California. Why not? It's the United States. Why not? This is the world that we live in now. And that lawlessness always breeds disobedience. And he says, he has another pair of, uh, of, of people. He says, to the ungodly, it, it, to be ungodly is to be without regard for anything sacred, anything that have to do with God. And, you know, there are people that just, they make fun of God. And they, uh, you know, you've got the sisters of indulgence. You know, you've probably seen them. Uh, they're, they're men that dress up as nuns. And they go out and they say something stupid like, go out and sin some more. And, uh, and they, they have this, this disregard for the holy, the, the godly. And such people are just sinners. They live without regard for God's law or anything of God. And then there's also the unholy person, is the indifferent to be right. Uh, he is indifferent to God and his duty. And that indifference leads him to be a profaner. In other words, profane is to be pro in front of the temple, fain, fanus, uh, is, is to do things against the temple or against God without any kind of regard for anything. And Paul just basically lays it out for the first three to, to, to have no other gods before you. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. Um, 
that the Lord God is the only one. He's a jealous God. And uh, honor the Sabbath. Those four laws. And then the next one, he says, after that, he goes on to say, and those, he says, and, and those who strike their fathers and mothers are in obvious violation of the fifth commandment, to honor your father and your mother. Now, this is interesting that Paul would use these uh, sins or these, I guess, law-breaking attitudes because it's, it's believed that those are the things that were happening in Ephesus. Here you got these teachers, and they're profaners, they're disobedient, they, you know, but they're yet to preach in the gospel. They're trying to preach the gospel. Some of them were very abusive to their parents. And not only did, were they uh, maybe striking their parents, but a little bit later, uh, in addition to honor your father and your mother, it was also given uh, an additional commandment in Exodus uh, that, uh, that you should not even curse at them or cuss them out. You know, anybody that cusses out their parents, anybody that strikes their parents, anybody, there's a curse placed upon that person. And just because you are an, a disobedient and a sinner, a profaner, just because you've done these things, if you've done those things, that's what the law shows you. Don't do, are you doing those things? Repent. There's forgiveness. There's forgiveness for those that repent. There's forgiveness that see the law for what it is, and they repent. And it's not too late if we continue to proclaim the gospel message. The next set, of course, is uh, the murderers. That's uh, you should not murder in Acts 20, verse 13. is a violation against the sixth commandment. Sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality literally means uh, males in the marriage bed violates the seventh commandment, which forbids sexual activity outside of marriage. You know, and I don't want to get caught up because we're going to touch on this a lot, you know, sometime later. But uh, if you want some information, I can give you that out, you know, because sexual immorality is just sexual immorality. I, I've talked to some people and says, well, what about homosexuality? Well, you know, basically, honestly, it's sexual immorality. You should not be having sex outside of marriage. Bottom line, whether it's with another woman, if you're a man or another man, if you're a man or whatever the case may be, sex outside of marriage is wrong. People say, I'm shacking up. Are you? No, actually, they don't say that. <laughs> what they say is, this is my fiance. And I, I generally ask the question, and then I don't, I don't do it too often, but I'll ask the question if I've gotten comfortable with the people. Is this really your fiance in the traditional sense, or are you guys shacking up? And, and they try, and, and they, what they do is they, they, they soften. We soften sin in such a way, oh, we're living together. You know, and you know, you're committing sexual immorality. You know, he's homosexual. No, he's a sodomite. The Bible calls him a sodomite. And we try to, you know, I, you know, I'm just, I'm having an affair. No, you're committing adultery. It's not an affair. And we soften the sin by giving it a different label. And it's become acceptable. And, it's, and the more acceptable it becomes, the more that we raise these people up into power. And many of these people that Paul is talking about are in power now influencing others. And so, I mean, ergo, look at our school system and our children and the things that are going on because of this br brokenness that people are not listening or, or understanding and using the law lawfully. They'll use it unlawfully. There, there are various examples. Like I said, I don't want to get into it much because we're going to dive into it quite a bit. But one, one example, very quickly, is that in homosexuality, men with men, when they go to the Bible, there's this church that is for homosexuals. There's this church, it's a metropolitan uh, church, and I forget where it's at. But they, 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 preach, they preach the gospel there, and they say, yes, homosexuality is okay. Look at what, what David had this relationship with his friend, Jonathan. And when you read it, you have to actually read into it that agenda. Because when you read it, you just see, you know, the love of two, two, two brothers that loved each other, that really had something going on. They worked together. They fought together. It has nothing to do with homosexuality, but they twist the scriptures to fit their agenda over and over and over again. And now we have churches that have ordained pastors that are walking in that, in that vein. And you see the law... When, when, when it, we talked about this last week, the conscience, you have a conscience. Everyone has a conscience. And the conscience is, is there God-given. And it's to show you the difference between right and wrong. And, and the more that you put God's word into your mind, the more you're going to make right choices. 
But before that, you know what's right. You know what's wrong. You know you shouldn't take that. As a matter of fact, you feel kind of guilty when you take something or do something or even lie. But the more that you do it, it sears your conscience. And it causes you to to just, no big deal. And the more that you get involved in certain activities, those that are contrary to God's law, the more that you realize it's, it's no big, I can justify it. Because our society has taught us that to call that sin a sin and to call it out, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> to call it out is damaging the self-esteem of the person. And the person's self-esteem is being damaged. And therefore, what I am saying or what the Bible is saying or what the preacher is saying is hate speech. And now because I have caused this damage on this person, I'm the one that's culprit. And the laws have all changed, and they're changing on a rapid pace to protect those that are being insulted, those that are being damaged by the truth. As a matter of fact, I can go to prison or jail or fined or both for doing what they call conversion therapy. Conversion therapy is if I talk to somebody that's homosexual and I try to convert them, say, you know, this is wrong, you're you're living a lie, you're living, and if I'm doing that, then according to the law, I'm a lawbreaker now. They change the laws to make me a lawbreaker. And the more that these laws are being changed, the more that it, it is accepted in our society. You see, the law was made to show us our sin. It's always been that way. And this is why when we talk about it, you know, the Eighth Commandment forbids stealing. And, and you, the Eighth Commandment, many people don't know this, but as Paul mentions it, he calls them enslavers. The Eighth Commandment is not necessarily just stealing things, but it was mainly more for stealing people, kidnapping, for kidnapping. And uh, since, since the day of the theft of children has become commonplace, kids are being stolen all the time. We hear this all the time. If you haven't seen the movie that came out, The Sound of Silence, uh, that, or I forget what it was called. Anyways, uh, with Jim Caviezel talking about how this sex trafficking trade is just blooming because of this, the, the stealing and the, the uh, trafficking of children. And the more that it happens, the more that it's accepted, uh, you know, the more it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue to happen. Whatever happened to Epstein's Island? They got the documents. They got the, they got the transcripts. They got, the, they got all the agendas. They got, they got everything. Well, whatever happened to that? You know, it's, it's accepted because a lot of the people that were involved in it are very prominent people. So they say, well, it's not a big deal. I mean, it happened such a long time ago. What does it matter now? As one politician once said. In your outlines, very quickly, I just want to give you what Paul is trying to get across here. He says, you know, the perfect law of the Lord. The law is perfect, always has been. The law is, if you use it correctly, you'll be able to see that you're a sinner. And because of you're a sinner, I need the gospel. The gospel message is that God sent his son to die on the cross for me because I am a sinner. I can't save myself. And the perfect law of the Lord is, number one, purifying. Whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Paul lists these doctrines. I mean, excuse me, these sins. He lists these sins. There's 14 of them or, or 12 of them. I, I, I counted them, but I can't remember right now. And, and so he has these listed. They're not all of them. And so this is why he adds it or anything, anything else or whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. You know, the word sound from Greek is hygienio. Uh, hygienio is the word where we get our, our English word hygiene. Hygiene meaning clean or healthy or wholesome. What anything that is healthy or wholesome, anything, any teaching that is teaching us to be healthy, wholesome, to be clean, to be different, to be separate from the world, to be sanctified, and not to be perfect, but to be separate from the world. Anything else that goes contrary to what the Bible is teaching us, then you need to refrain from all that and, and teach against that. We'll see in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, that we we saw. Oh, let me have you turn there. Titus is just right after 2 Timothy. It's 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And then go over to Titus. Titus chapter 2. Because I want you to see something here in verse 11. In your outlines, I only have verse 14 in there. But in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions 
and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you, he tells Titus. The same thing. He saved us. He redeemed us. He purchased us from this ungodly world and set us apart to purify us. How? By his word, by his law. We look at the law. We look at the word. We see what it is that this is the things that we shouldn't be doing. We look across the nation. We look on TV. We, we, we just go to work. We, we see our families. And it's all being violated. And, and it seems like, you know, what, what am I going to do? Well, you just stand firm. Proclaim the gospel message. Continue to proclaim the gospel message. He gave himself for us to redeem us for, from all lawlessness and to purify us. James chapter 4, the same thing. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in fear of the Lord. Number two, the perfect law of the Lord is the promise of good news. Is the promise of good news. As I mentioned, the law, the perfect law, as Paul is sharing, it shows us our ugliness. It's not for the righteous or those that think they're righteous. It's not for those that think they have it all together. But it's for those of us who are knowing that we are sinners. And, and so what the law does is it shows us our sin. And so the good news is that exactly. That in accordance with the gospel of the glory. And that's the good news. It's the promise of the good news. The promise is that if you believe the gospel and you repent, you're saved. Jesus Christ will not turn anybody away. If you repent and you run to him and you, and you live your life for him, he will not turn you away. And you live your life, living your life for him is not what you do to be saved, but you live your life for him because you are saved. The number one thing is just to repent. Recognize I'm a sinner. It's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. Repent and let the Holy Spirit work in you. As a matter of fact, that's why Jesus Christ came in the first place. In Luke chapter 4, in your outlines, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives of recovering the sight to the blind, to set a, at liberty those who were oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord, the Lord's favor, excuse me. That's why Jesus Christ came. In Luke 4.43, he goes on to say, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus Christ was sent with the purpose of proclaiming the good news. The bad thing was is that the Pharisees, they kept the law to themselves. They tried to keep it as best they could, and they prided themselves and who can keep it the best and the longest. And everybody else around them was thinking, I could never be like that. Look at those guys. They got money. They got power. They got prestige. Everybody wants to be like, I can never be like that. I'm just a fisherman. I'm just a farmer. I'm just a shepherd. I'm a nobody. You know, and, and these Pharisees would walk around, you know, chest puffed out. And Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. They were bright and beautiful on the outside. But on the inside, they had dead bones, what Jesus Christ said. And the gospel must be preached to the, to the poor. To those that can hear the gospel and, and, and know that they are spiritually poor and they're spiritually uh, in need of the good news. Number three, the perfect law of the Lord is produced by God and it only comes by God. The gospel message has always been the message of God, of the blessed God. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. He came proclaiming the gospel of God. You see, the gospel message has always been there in the Old Testament. They didn't have the four spiritual laws. They didn't have the Romans road. They didn't have any other type of a program or ministry. All they had was the Old Testament. And the Old Testament said, you're a sinner, I'm going to save you. You're a sinner, I'm going to send a Messiah. You're a sinner, and you got to repent. You, you turn away. Turn, return, return to me. Stop running away from me. 
And Jesus Christ, he says, proclaiming the gospel, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And what does he say? Repent and believe the gospel. And believe the gospel message. Here's the bad thing, is that for many people, they don't know what the gospel message is. Some people think the gospel message is a personal testimony. Some people believe the gospel is music, gospel music. Some people believe the gospel... Some people believe that the gospel is, uh, you know, just helping and in, in feeding the poor. I mean, yes, I should give a personal testimony. Yes, but that's not the gospel. And yes, we should sing songs that have the word gospel or at least uh, songs that direct our, our attention to Jesus Christ. Yes, we should uh, feed the hungry and, and the poor and, and clothe them. Yeah, but that's not the gospel message. The gospel message is not going around telling people that, um, that Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's not the gospel. The gospel message is this, is that you're a sinner and Jesus, you're a great sinner and Jesus is a great savior. Bottom line. That's it. You're a great sinner and he's a great savior. And unfortunately, people don't like to hear that they are sinners. They justify their sin. And so the gospel has always been about God. It's not about you. The gospel has always been a message about what God has done and is doing in the life of his redeemed. It's not about getting you healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's not about setting you straight on a narrow path. It's not about helping you in your life and in your health. Those are some of the benefits that come from serving God. He, he causes your mind to think differently. You don't spend your money on things that you, do, you know you shouldn't be. You start investing it into the kingdom, and God blesses that and multiplies that. He blesses your health because of your different life choices, because you recognize that your body is the temple of the living Holy Spirit. Your, your, your body is the temple of God. And the Holy Spirit resides in there, so you want to keep your body in good shape. And so it, by, by extension, it, it gets you healthy. But the gospel message is not to give you that. The gospel message is to show you that you're a sinner and Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you. That's it. And when people don't recognize that, anything becomes the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul tells them, we, told them we, had, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Paul was being tortured, and he preached the gospel of God. And in 1 Peter 4, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Those that Paul's talking about right here, the ungodly, the sinner, the profane. You have loved ones, beloved, that need to hear this message. And the last thing I want to share with you is this, that the perfect law of the Lord is proclaimed by the church. Paul says that this message, this gospel, this, uh, what, what, what we have just read here, uh, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. He said in Mark chapter 16, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And in 1 Peter, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. As we had seen in the book of Colossians and in the book of Philippians and in the book of 1 Corinthians, we were in this darkness. We were at one time insolent, blasphemers, just like Paul. Liars, adulterers. And, and all those things that, that you might be weighed with right now that might have just popped up as I was sharing these things with you. You may have participated or are still participating in some of that. The gospel message is for you. Jesus died to take that away from you, to cleanse your conscience, to cleanse your heart, to give you a new heart. You are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. He gives you the, the blessing of removing all the guilt and the shame. And he gives you a life to live for. He's given you a church to participate in. 
He's given you a way to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, not to work for your salvation. Because once you receive this gift of eternal life, once you understand it and you realize, man, I was saved from all of that, the natural reaction is to want to give. The natural reaction is to want to do. What can I do, Lord? What must I do? Well, he says, first of all, repent and be baptized. That's the first thing. What can I do? What can I do tangibly? Well, you know, there's things that can be done here at the church. There's things that you can do in other places as well. There's ministries that can be started. But it all happens when you come to the realization that it's not your qualifications. It's not what you can actually do. If you come to him broken and you understand that you're a sinner, God's going to use that for his glory. Let me ask you to stand. We don't really find out until much later. If these teachers ever repented, if they or they just kept on going, more, more likely the indication is that they didn't. They didn't repent, but if they would have, God would have forgiven them. If they would have just turned away, it would have been done. But man's heart gets so hardened and his conscience gets so seared that everything is okay now. I'll just get rid of that part of the Bible as one person once told me. But me, honor him, I ripped that part out of my Bible a long time ago. You know, and, and when you understand it, it's, it's because of who God is that he can make these decisions. Father in heaven, I thank you once again. Thank you, Father, for what you do in our life and, and how you've brought us to this point to recognize who we are. Broken individuals, Lord. And I pray, Father, that somehow in today's message that it, it hit a nerve. And I know it might have hit a, a raw nerve and it, it could have hurt uh, and, and stepped on people's toes. But, Lord, this is your gospel message. And we need to recognize that we are sinners. None of us here are perfect. But we also got to recognize that you're a savior of sinners. That's why you came, to proclaim to the poor. Those of us that are not of influence. Those of us that are not of of nobility. Those of us that think we deserve all the riches of the world. Lord, we know we're undeserving. But we thank you for that amazing grace. So, Father, I pray that uh, as we contemplate and mull over this message today, that we find a way to, to respond in repentance. And all those things that are coming to mind right now, all those sins and all those attitudes and all that stuff, Lord, that your law has been pointing to all these, de- all these days, that we just start one by one, just repenting, 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 and move forward, Lord in your word. Father, I thank you once again for today. Lord, I, I pray for the fellowship that is to take place afterward, for the food that has been provided. I pray you bless it, you nourish our time together, and you help us, Lord, as we uh, commit ourselves to one another, as we commit ourselves to you. So thank you, Lord, once again for the food that was prepared and the way it was made, and, and we just thank you for those that are going to participate. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. As I mentioned in our prayer, we do have food. Please stick around. If you'd like to uh, join us for dinner. <clears throat> oh, and also one more thing. It's not dinner, it's lunch. Um, right after, we're going to have a members meeting that I'm going to ask all the members to stick around for a moment. And it's only for members. Mm-hmm.